I'm excited about what God has to teach us this morning through His Word. And uh, if you would, I'd like for you to join me in a word of prayer and ask Him to stir our hearts, to speak directly to us, uh, to peel back the layers of, of where we may be today. We come with a lot of different stuff. A lot of us have a lot of junk going on in our lives. I understand that. All right, I'm human. Maybe you're pastor, but I'm human, all right? And so a lot of us, I know, have a lot of junk, a lot of things that God really has to peel back in order to get to our hearts. And so I really believe he's got a word for us today, not because I get to stand up and share it, but simply because uh, he wrote it. And so uh, I want him to speak directly to us. So if you would, let's join our hearts in a word of prayer. God, we want to hear from you. Lord, that is the reason we're here. Lord, some of us don't know that's why we're here, but that is why we're here, uh, is to hear from you. Lord, we, we've heard... Uh, and had our hearts connected to you through a time of music, been able to worship you through that. But God, we want to continue in our worship of you as we listen to the preaching of your word. And so God, I pray that you would peel back those layers. The things that are on our hearts and on our minds, the things that we've done this week, all the stuff that's happened, good, bad, and otherwise. Lord, the things or the distractions that have even come this morning or things we're thinking about for later today. God, I pray that for just the next few moments, that you would peel all that back, that you would look directly into our hearts, show us the state of our hearts, and show us how you can apply your grace and mercy and truth to change our hearts. So Lord, we open ourselves to you this morning, and we anxiously await you doing just that. We pray this in Jesus' name. We've been in this series now for the last several weeks on family. Family, obviously, is huge for all of us. Every one of us is the product of a family environment. You could look back and trace back from your childhood to now all the different things that you now are because of your family, or the things that you aren't because of your family, good or bad. And so we're all the products of family. So even from the very beginning, obviously God in His sovereignty knew how important family would be, and it was the first institution He established. Before government, before school systems, before anything else, God set up the family. And so He cares deeply about it. His stance on it has not changed. He still defines family, first as husband and wife, and then adding of children later on. God's stance on that has not changed. His truth about the family is eternal, and so that's why we look to God for our instruction on the family. We don't look to society. We don't look to our talk shows. We don't look to any of that. We look directly to God's Word. And so over the last several weeks, that's what we've been talking about. If you're just joining us, if you have not been here before, maybe you're, you're, you're maybe returning after a little hiatus, then that's what we've been doing. Uh, this morning, we, we get to the issue of parenting. And uh, it's interesting, as I've been thinking about and studying through these different sermons and so on, uh, one of the things, that, as I mentioned, that, that I come back to are just thinking about my own children and their identities and, and whatever. Uh, this past summer, we had the opportunity, again, to participate in T-ball. Uh, now, my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, Lucy, who's seven, said this was her last season. She is now officially retired. And, I, and those, that's her terminology. She is retired. In fact, she told one of our coaches, one of the dads who helped us, she was going to send a letter of resignation. She's done. She I think you have to understand, Lucy, I love her. But, you know, we were on the way to a T-ball game one time, and, and I said, so, Lucy, you know, we had about four games to go. She was counting them down. Oh, how many more games do we have? I'm done. I said, what are you going to do next summer when you're not playing T-ball? I said, scrapbooking. I said, okay, you know, whatever. She's a woman. So, 
Now, now, Hank, on the other hand, of course, my five-year-old son is just eating up with it. He loves it. He'd want to play every day. And, and uh, you know, there are times when I walk from my office here at church back across the street to our home, and I'll hear this kind of knocking, it sounds like, on the door. And I know exactly what that is. That's Hank with his tennis ball and his glove in the hallway there, throwing the ball off the door and fielding and making plays. And he has play-by-play, and he'll play nine innings. And then he's, he's amazing. But you know, every year at T-Ball, and I've coached T-Ball now for two years, now you have to understand that I used to coach in high school, and high school coaching is a whole lot different than T-Ball coaching, all right? And so we just try to make sure that the kids have a great time and they learn a little bit along the way. So one of the first things that we do is with T-Ballers who are four, maybe to six, maybe seven years old, I try to show them some of the basic fundamentals that they'll need to know as they maybe move up a level in the, in the coming years, whether they're girls maybe going on to softball or boys essentially going on to baseball, they need to know certain things. One of the things they need to know, obviously, is just where stuff is on the field. And, and, and sadly, I guess I'm not a very good coach because still by the end of the year, we still have that kid who hits the ball and runs to third base, you know, or just runs out in the middle of the field, you know. And, but we try at the very beginning, we try to show them, okay, here is first base. And we walk all the kids down there and they all stand at first base and we introduce them. Here's first base, shake hands, so on and so forth. And then we go over to second base and we go to third and they go to home plate. And we just try to show them where the different things are on the field. Because if they don't get that, they're, they're not going to be set up at all for any success at the next level. Let's, let's play this out. Let's say that the next time you turned on the television during baseball season, you see a guy hit a ball and run straight to third base. And you're going to think something's wrong with that guy because nobody does that as you get older. If that were the case, somewhere along the line, he missed some of the fundamentals of the game. And so just like in that, our families are built on certain foundations. We've looked so far at what does it take to make a Christian family? What are the foundational things? The first thing we we looked at was it takes a plan. You, You have to plan your family. It's not just going to happen that you have a Christian family. You have to follow God's prescribed plan for your family. It also takes, we looked at a person, a person who is living wisely and is, is walking according to and living by and filled with God's Holy Spirit. Then we looked at men and women and what a godly man looks like and what a godly woman looks like. And then we looked at the last two weeks at marriage. What makes a successful Christian marriage? Now, as Danny mentioned, I challenged you last week to do four things. Danny obviously did. Man, you're, you're way ahead of the curve. Listen, all in one meal. That's hard to do. You're good. The last week, I challenged you to do four things in different categories, men and women, according to your spouse. What is it that you could do to love them and demonstrate that? And we come this week to uh, the building block that is the parent in the family. Now, I realize that we have a lot of different family scenarios here today. We have a lot of different age groups, a lot of different stages of life. And as always, as I've told you, some of this may be directly applicable to where you are right now. Some of you feel like, man, my parenting time has just passed me by. You know, I, now I've got maybe grandparents or nieces and nephews, or whatever it may be, extended relatives. It's passed me by. Some of you have never had the opportunity to be parents. Some of you, you look at your situation and you say, you know what, I've, I've failed miserably. I mean, I just, I really I identify, I just think I've failed. Some of you say, I think things are going pretty well. Don't say anything to mess me up today. You know, I mean, I, wherever you may be, I, I know that this is either a truth that's directly for you. I know it's a challenge that's either maybe directly for you or someone in your life. I know it, it hopefully will it, it, it include some encouragement for you uh, as, a, as a Christian parent. 
Uh, that happens to be my stage of life. Let me tell you, parenting is always on my mind. Always. And, uh, and sometimes I don't do a very good job. Sometimes I feel like I do, but it's always there. So this morning, what we're going to look at is sort of an umbrella picture of what does God have to say about the role of parents in the lives of children. Now, for many of us today, this will be old news. This will be a refresher course. And I hope that for the majority of us, it is. I really do. For others, it will be brand new. You've never heard it this way before. And I hope that you will not be blindsided or like a deer caught in headlights, but that you'll receive the truth of God's Word and then begin to apply it in your life. For others, you'll think, boy, I tell you what, I know somebody that needs to hear that. And maybe you pass that along. But either way, let's, let's look at the Scripture this morning what God has to say. If you've got your Bible handy, when you look with me in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, we have camped out for a while in Ephesians chapter 5. We're moving now to chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 will be in the first four verses. If you're not familiar with the Bible, as I've mentioned before, please do not let that stop you in any way. The only way to get familiar with the Bible is to begin to flip through it and see where things are. So go to your table of contents if you need to. Ephesians is in the New Testament. It starts with an E-P-H. Ephesians chapter 6. Now parents, you're going to love these first couple of verses. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord. We ought to just bring them all back in here right now. You know, uh, maybe I'll go over to the gym. We'll get them all over here. And we'll line them all up. And we'll, we'll get them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. They'll laugh at us. Because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Now, we're going to talk about children here in a couple weeks. So this is not our target verse for today. But verse 4 is. And fathers, and that can, can really be generalized to include all parents, don't stir up anger in your children. Other versions may say, don't provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, hold your place there in Ephesians. I, I, we're going we're gonna to camp out there, and I want you to be able to, to come back to that. We'll turn to some other scriptures a little bit later. But if, you, if you look back up to chapter 5, verse 21, it sort of sets up all of this, this that, that follows. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, what Paul is setting up here is, is Christian relationships are based upon love and mutual submission. There is give and take. There is, I do my role, you do your role, and we love one another in so doing. And then he gives examples. He talks about husbands and wives. And then he gets to parents and their children. It's interesting that, that what Paul focuses on is the, the quote-unquote stronger party uh, in, in each relationship is the one he places the most responsibility on. For example, when he talks about wives and husbands, he goes on and on about husbands. He says very little about what wives are to do. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have any, any responsibility, but he focuses on the husbands, the one who is, is to be the, the, the leader in the home and so on. And then he gets to parents and children, and he says, children, you are to obey. And then he says to parents, you have an even greater responsibility, and that is don't stir up anger in your children, but, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So I hope today as we look at this, this will be both a challenge to you and also an encouragement. Now, as you look at this particular verse, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There is an overarching principle that we'll look at today, our guiding principle, and it's this. Parents 
are God's agents for the instruction and training of children. Parents, write that word down. If you don't ever take notes on the back of your bulletin, flip it over. At least write this part down. Parents are God's agents for the instruction and training of children. And circle it, underline it more so. I draw stars around it. Whatever you need to do, the word parents. Please make sure you write that down. They are God's agents for the instruction and training of children. Now, if you think about the word agent there, probably some things come to mind, not the least of which, or maybe even even foremost, is the idea of a sports agent. Someone who goes to the player on behalf of the team and vice versa and passes on to each party what it is the other party wants them to know. And so just like that, God has instructed and given the mandate to parents to go on His behalf to children, as you see there, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. On, the, on behalf of God, parents act as God's agent, as God's representative. Now, does that mean that they are God themselves? No, not at all, but you certainly, I hope, understand what I'm saying. God also draws the, the parallel over in Hebrews chapter 2 that, that He has sent agents before, that the prophets, even angels sometimes spoke on God's behalf, and certainly Jesus is the final revelation of God, speaking on God's behalf both through His life, His ministry, His death on the cross, and His words, and His resurrection, obviously. He is God's agent for conveying God's message, uh, passing on God's grace, and so on. And so, in a similar way, though obviously we are not uh, able to save our own children, you understand what I mean, but in a similar way, we are God's representative to our children. Now, if you think of, of this particular truth of parents being responsible for the training and instruction of their children, if you turn that around and say, well, what happens when that doesn't happen? Well, I'm not going to bore you with a bunch of statistics, but let me tell you this. There are studies and statistics that abound that talk about the problems that arise when parents do not take this role. Uh, many of those point to the spiritual and emotional confusion that exists in children. You want to really mess up your kids? then you ignore everything that's going to be said today. Ignore it all. Not because I'm saying it, but because it comes from God's Word. Ignore God's Word when it comes to parenting, and you really mess up your kids. Now, none of us in our right mind would say, well, that's really what I want to do. I just can really mess up my kid. I just like to see how I can do that. You know, none of us would say that. But oftentimes we, we refuse or we neglect our responsibility here. So we have spiritual and emotional confusion that comes. You also, in our society, we have a strange phenomenon that's going on, and it is delayed adulthood. We have what are called, what you want to call them, kiddos or something like that. We have these people in our society, now I don't make light of this anyway, there's a real issue, who refuse to grow up. Now they may look like adults, they may have even a job, but they refuse to grow up. They delay adulthood way up until their 20s. This adolescent period lasts now from about 10 to about 25 for many people. Now, you know about adolescence, where there's a lack of responsibility, seemingly, and so on, whatever it may be, a lot of confusion, a lot of turmoil. Imagine that period lasting for 15 years. How many of you would want to be a teenager for 15 years? My goodness. I would not want to go back to being a teenager. But many times, because parents, in general, have dropped the ball with their responsibility, adulthood is delayed. You have this confusion over who am I to be. We we struggle to grow up, and and marriage is one of those things that's, that's evidence of that. The average marrying age used to be, years ago, somewhere around 20, 21, 22. Now it's more like 26, 27, 28. You can see how adulthood and responsible decisions and, and so on are being pushed back. Society, as a result, is in decline. 
We cannot look at our world today and the morality of it, the values of it, and say that 50 years ago was worse than it is today. 50 years ago, our morals, our values were much higher, much more godly as a society than they are today. And we can't point at society and blame them. We have to look ourselves in the mirror and look toward the home. I really believe, honestly, that most problems in the family, most problems in the church, most problems in the schools, most problems in society would be solved, absolutely eradicated, if we would begin to apply this principle, that parents are God's agents. I really believe that parents must embrace all that goes with this particular truth. And that's what I want to look at for just the next few moments. What's involved? If you are going to be God's agent for your children, if you are going to be God's representative for the instruction and training of your children, what's involved? Now, you see three boxes that go around the bottom of your outline there. You're going to write one word in each of those boxes, and you'll have some other notes you can take underneath that. The first word is authority. Parents are God's agents for the training and instruction of children, and with that comes authority. That authority is from God. If you have your Bible still open, hold your place in Ephesians chapter 6, flip all the way over to the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and look at chapter 18. In verse 19, and I won't read you the whole passage, we just look at one verse. God is talking here about Abraham and his plans and what his idea is for Abraham and his vision for him. And he says this in in chapter 18, verse 19, For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to what? Keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised. Now, if you know what God had promised to Abraham, what was it? That he would bless him with lots and lots of descendants, a great land, and, and he would make him into a great nation. Now, God says, here's how I'm going to do that. By making him... In, in a position of authority over his children and his household so that he can teach them what is right, and that's how I'll fulfill my promise to him. Abraham received the authority of God. If you're still in Genesis, turn to the right a little bit of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 may be a familiar passage to some of you as parents. In verse 4 it says this, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Again, here is the authority from God given to parents to be His agents for instruction. Over the New Testament, just a little bit to the right of Ephesians, you have, you have the book of Philippians and then Colossians. Look with me in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 21, it says this, Colossians three twenty-one: Fathers, do not exasperate your children. That's again, don't stir them to anger so they won't become discouraged. Here it is again, responsibility, authority given on God's behalf to parents. This authority is given so that you as a parent have the authority to instruct, to train, to shape, to create an environment for them. And I'll tell you this, as a parent, you don't have to be embarrassed to be an authority for your child. You don't have to take a back seat. You don't have to dance around them. You are, on God's behalf, receive it today, the truth and encouragement that it is, you are God's agent to have His authority on behalf of Him for your children. I'll say this as well. Not only should you not be embarrassed, but this is not optional. 
This is not optional for parents. It is not something you say, well, eh, I'm not sure I agree with that. You may disagree, but if you disagree, and let me say this with all sensitivity in my heart that I can, because I'm, I'm with you. Again, I said parenting is always on my mind. If you're in disagreement and refuse to be God's authority, there is a one word, there's one word to describe what you're doing, and that word simply is sin. Now, parents, I'm not trying to smack you in the head today unnecessarily, but if we refuse to be God's authority for our children, we as parents are living in sin because God has said, you are the one. Go be that authority. So it's no, you, you don't need to wonder if this is part of your role. Yes, absolutely it is. And you have no choice. You must be obedient in this area. This authority comes from God, and it's for the purpose of creating that godly home, that godly environment, which includes, parents, your right, not just your right, but your obligation to shape what children see and watch on television, to, to shape what they listen to, what they see and do on the Internet, what language is used in your home, how time is spent, who time is spent with, what values you will have, what filter you'll use for making your decisions. Scripture shows in this particular verse here, in Ephesians chapter 6, that children can go one of two ways. Many times it's based upon the authority that parents use. Parents, obviously, because children can go two ways, it's by implication that parents can parent one of two ways. You can use this authority that God has given you the wrong way, and you can use it the right way. But the wrong way is being unreasonable. The wrong way is being controlling or just guessing. Well, we'll just figure it out. The wrong way is focused only on behavior adjustment. You realize you can get your kids to do anything you want to, just threaten them a little bit. And some of you, listen, that's your parenting style. Listen, I'm going to threaten them, and they, you know, and I, I get that. I, you know, I'm a parent. I'm human. I've done that. But the wrong way to use authority is just to focus on behavior modification. You know what God shoots for? You know what God's goal is? It's to get to the heart. You ever seen a kid who for a time will straighten up and act the right way, and they leave that particular environment, and they go right back to what they were doing. You think, what in the world? I just told them. You know, I just told them if they did this, here's what's going to happen. They never got to their heart. Well, I deal with that with my own children. The wrong way to use that authority is to focus only on behavior. Also, another wrong way is to base your authority on anger or pride which obviously can lead to the abuse of children in a variety of different ways. The right way to use that authority is to be fair and consistent, to be loving, to see the big picture, not just focus on how angry this makes you right in the moment when your kids are doing that, oh, you're driving me nuts, but to focus on the big picture, to be patient with them, to operate with godly wisdom, to pray always for your children, for, for you as a parent, to gain strength and confidence from the Lord, to carefully place boundaries in the lives of your children. You know, it's interesting when you place a, a bunch of kids in a sort of an open environment with no fences, so to speak. They don't know what to do. They stay right in the middle. When you place boundaries around them, our kids right now, they have a fence in their backyard. They go all the way to the edge of the fence, whereas before they stayed right in the middle. Isn't it curious that without boundaries, kids do not know what to do? And it's just the same way in the emotional and physical and spiritual sense. The right way to use authority is to provide guidance but guidance that comes from a kind heart, someone who is selfless. Our example for the authority here, obviously, is God the Father, who is selfless in giving of His Son, Jesus Christ. Parents are God's agents for the training and instruction of children, and with that comes authority. Not only that, but it also includes responsibility. Authority comes with responsibility. 
It says, and fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Here's the responsibility. You are to bring them up. Giving them instruction. I love, there's a, write down the reference in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. It's a great little passage of prayer that Paul has. He says, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing. He's praying this for the church he's writing to. Your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can determine what really matters and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When's the last time you prayed a prayer like that for your children? When's the last time you instructed them to help them know what really matters in life? Our instruction helps them to understand that. Our instruction as parents also is to include the reality of sin. We're, we're now getting to the point with our children. They're getting old enough to kind of understand that not only did they do something bad that mommy and daddy didn't know, but more so, and, and, and infinitely more important, they did something called sin that God doesn't like. Our, our children need to understand sin, but they also need to understand grace that God offers through Jesus Christ that sin can be forgiven, that sin has been dealt with, that we no longer have to carry it around, that when we believe in Jesus Christ, it's, it's washed away. Kids need to know that. They need to know how to handle the issues of life based upon God's Word. So our instruction is always tied up in the Word of God. Responsibility includes their instruction, not only that, but also training. It says here in Ephesians chapter 6, which involves correcting, obviously, and displaying and teaching righteousness. I remember a few months ago, my son Hank was displaying some sort of negative attitude. I forget exactly the circumstances, and I was getting on to him about it, and I said, now, buddy, you know, that's not the right kind of attitude. And he stopped me in my tracks. you gotta, you got to know Hank. He... he He's our theologian. He's, he's our guy that goes always back to the Bible and he tells you what it says and that kind of stuff. He's five years old. I've got a lot to look forward to when I get old. I can't wait till he's a teenager and really tells me what he thinks. Anyway, <clears throat> but he told me, he said, well, Daddy, your attitude's not very good. Now, listen, if you're a parent, you know what my first response was to do? Now, listen, boy. Now, we ain't talking about me here, you know. <laughs> but he was right. Oh, my goodness, he was right. And I had displayed a rotten attitude, and boy, some of the things I said were just not helpful, if you understand what I mean. Oh. I told him, I said, you know, buddy, you're right. I said, I'm sorry. And I said, so won't you pray for Daddy? Well, listen, that night after I walked out of the room, he prayed for Daddy. Out loud to Jesus that Daddy's attitude would change, you know. <laughs> and, and, and it has. I, I, I've worked on it. But this training involves correction. But it's not just correcting them. It's also displaying to them the right things. Because they pick up on it. Hank's no dummy. <laughs> he gets it when Daddy's saying one thing and doing another. Our responsibility is to instruct, to train. Not only that, but to nurture. It says bring them up. It's to help them develop properly. It's not limited to just the physical realm. You look at what Jesus, uh, what, what the Scripture Luke records about Jesus in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that that Jesus grew intellectually, he grew physically, he grew spiritually, he grew socially. It's an all-inclusive responsibility that parents have to nurture their children so that intellectually, physically, spiritually, and socially they are healthy and thriving. That responsibility, obviously, when you begin to give instruction and training and nurturing, it also includes discipline. 
Now, that's that word that nobody really likes, but this is the basic principle in life. Without discipline, you will get nowhere. You will get nowhere. You will stay in a, in a miserable cycle in your life. And if you've been there, you know, and I know, you'll stay there if you don't have discipline. You, you may want to get out of school, those of you who are in college, but if you don't have discipline, you're never going to get out. You'll spend the best, you know, seven or eight years of your life at Murray State. You'll never get out of school. The truth is, discipline is a basic principle of life. It's also an expression of love. God says in Hebrews chapter 12 that He, he disciplines those He loves. Proverbs is full of stuff like that. The truth is, if left to themselves, kids are going to be rebels. They have a sinful nature. We look at little babies. We're about to have one. And I'm going to look at my son here in the next few days, and you know what I'll see? At his core, I will see someone who is born with a sinful nature. Doesn't mean I'm going to hate my son, by no means. But it means that he needs discipline. And he needs the love of Jesus through a godly parent who will discipline him and show him right from wrong. This responsibility, as I said, includes instruction, training, nurturing, discipline. And let me say this, you go back to how I, I had you circle and draw stars around and underline the word parents. No one else has that responsibility. The Bible never and nowhere allows for that responsibility to be delegated to someone else. It never does. It must never be an afterthought. It must never be left to someone else. Now, being a parent is not easy, but we have to, as Christian parents, stop passing the buck to someone else. I really believe that many times we're looking for someone else to instruct and train our kids. We look to athletes. We say, well, if, if that person would just say this or that, you know, and boy, that athlete, they're such a great Christian, but my kids would just listen to them. Or we look maybe to politicians to fix the system so that our kids will now gain the right instruction. Or we look to pastors or teachers or grandparents or whomever it is. Let me tell you this. I used to work in a daycare for about two months. I had about 12 three-year-olds, and I was 19 years old. And I had hair, but that was the beginning of the end for me. Let me tell you what. There were some of those parents, and if you've ever worked in an environment like this, you know this. Not all. Maybe not even most. But some of those parents who left it up to me to raise their kids. Now, some of them had no choice but to send their children to that daycare, and I don't fault them in any way. And if that's you today, don't receive any condemnation. That's not what I'm saying. But many of them, though that may have been the case, they said, you know what? You got it. I'm good. Well, I sent them to a Christian daycare. They must be taken care of. They abdicated their role. I could not, with 12 three-year-olds, keep up with much less keeping them fed. Not only much less teaching them about Jesus in some way. We're just trying to survive. You know, I got to the end of the day. The last two hours of the day were nap time, you know, and I wasn't supposed to go to sleep. Don't tell anybody, but I did. Every single, I was worn out. My goodness. And then I went to work in a high school, the biggest high school in Louisville, Kentucky, Pleasure Ridge Park High School, my alma mater. It's a nuthouse. The, the, the inmates are running the asylum there, you know what I mean? My goodness, here I go and I'm teaching kids, and I remember I get to world history class. I had sophomores, and I've told you this before, sophomores don't even like themselves. And they're hard to like. They just don't. And they got into my class, they hated world history, and I hated world history, and we just didn't like each other and all that. I got to the point in one grading period, where out of 26 kids in my class, I had five of them passing my class. I looked at them and I said, I can't make it any easier. You put your name on the paper, I give you 100%, just turn it in. I had parent-teacher conferences. You know how many of those 26 represented parents showed up? 
none. They had abdicated their role and their responsibility. And now, they work in a church. And I've now been working in churches for about seven years, a youth pastor and a pastor. And I wish, I wish I could tell you it's different. I wish. I really do. I wish I could tell you that parents in the church don't abdicate their role. They don't give up their responsibility and say, well, the church is going to take care of that part for me. Let me tell you what. I love you. We love your children with all of our hearts. I'm so thankful. Let me, I, I mean this. So thankful for all the volunteers who work so diligently with our children. They're over there right now teaching them about the love of Jesus. But that's not our responsibility. We are merely a complement, not a replacement. And some of you nod your heads and say, yes, I know that. And unfortunately, we don't get it. Unfortunately, we go a different direction. But the Bible says parents alone, the church may help, the school may help, the teachers may help, the daycare may help, but parents alone are to be responsible before God. Parents alone are commanded by God to train and instruct their children. I hope you hear the heart of what I'm saying. So it comes with responsibility. And then finally, it comes with accountability. Being a Christian parent involves authority. You are God's agent. You are God's representative. Take hold of that. Don't be ashamed of it. Be encouraged by that truth. You also have a, a tremendous responsibility that you cannot avoid. And, and in that, and because of those two things, you have a high level of accountability. First of all, your accountability is to God. Again, this is not an optional thing. We are accountable to God in this area. And if we are God's agents and accountable to Him, then we must follow His plan, which means that Scripture, not our intuition, not our best guess, not what Dr. Filler, Oprah, or somebody else says, our, our, our goals and our methods must be informed by and guided by Scripture. So our goals for our kids must be biblically based. My son is a baseball player. You know what? I used to play baseball. You know what one of my goals for my son is? That he'll play baseball in high school and college, maybe even beyond. Boy, that'd be a nice retirement plan for me, wouldn't it? One big contract, man, and we got this, you know? But let me tell you what. If that's what drives me as a parent, then I am, I am way, way out of God's will. You don't hold me accountable on that as the years pass by. Scripture must be the guide for our goals. Our goals must be that our kids will live lives that are devoted to Jesus that they'll spend a lifetime glorifying God and having Christ-like character. So I'm accountable to God. I, not only that, but if you're married and you have children, you're also accountable to your spouse. Because you've seen what happens when one spouse is one way and another spouse is the other way, and the kids know which one to go to to get what, whatever situation. You know how that goes. If you're not on the same page, disaster is about this close in your home. You're accountable to God, accountable to your spouse. Not only that, but you're accountable to your kids. Hear this truth. You are, as a parent, the greatest human influence your kids will ever have. You say, well, I'm not so sure. My kids are teenagers. They seem to be influenced by a lot more stuff than me. You still, no matter what, you still are. Studies will tell you this. Kids will tell you this. You shape their lives more than anybody. 
And so if you are, if you're the type of parent who receives that authority, who, who looks at that responsibility and says, oh, you know what, I'm going to be accountable guy, I'm going to do it the right way, you have a tremendous opportunity to influence your children for a great good. If you're the parent who says, eh, I'm not so sure about this authority thing, I don't really see this as being my responsibility, I'm going to really be hands-off and just let my kids develop. Just let them make their own decision. You know, I made some mistakes, they need to learn to make some mistakes too, and so on and so forth. You are still influencing your children through that sort of mindset. They are counting on you. They count on no one else like they count on you. They need the guidance and the discipline and the influence of a godly parent. And I hope and pray that they'll see Jesus in you. Hank, one day, as we were discussing the gifts that we receive and the things that we have, I told him, I said, everything we have, you know, really comes from God. And he was about two years old at this time. And he looks at me and he says these words, you are God. And two years old doesn't really get it. But I thought, boy, if he thinks I'm God, we got some issues. Because I really, I've got to straighten some things up in my life. I've got to let God live through me in a way that I haven't done before. But you know the truth is, what he was seeing in me was the greatest human influence you'll ever know. What a tremendous accountability I have with my children. You're accountable to God, accountable to your spouse, accountable to your kids, and also accountable to your church. Because the problems at home tend to spill over. They don't limit themselves to the home. And this must be a partnership, the church with the parents. As I mentioned before, we are here for you. We want to love you and help you in any way possible. Don't feel as if, because I've said, well, it's your responsibility, good luck, you're on your own. That's not the point. But it must be a partnership. You as a parent, you're accountable to the church to raise your children the right way. We as a church are accountable to you to help you as best we can in that endeavor. It must be a partnership. And I think not only are you accountable to your church, but you're also accountable, I think, to society in general. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that, told the disciples, you are salt and light. What if you raised children in such a way that in, in Matthew 5.16 it says that people would see their good works and glorify their Father in heaven? We are responsible and accountable. We have authority. I really believe in closing that the mandate here from Scripture is clear. I don't think it's fuzzy. I don't think it's, it's wrong. I think it's very clear that parents are God's agents for the instruction and training of their children. And the only question that remains is, will we obey that mandate? Regardless of what age our children are, will we obey that mandate? God has commanded it. Your children need it. And so I challenge you as I've challenged myself this week. Let me tell you, it's no fun being the pastor. It's no fun having to preach this stuff because God beats me up all week long with what I'm about to teach. I've been dealing with it. So if that's you, if the Holy Spirit has convicted you today, then we stand on equal ground. I join you in what the Holy Spirit has done in my life this week. But we have to be honest and evaluate where are we with all of this stuff. How are you doing with receiving the authority that God has given you? Have you, have you received it? Are you using it the right way? What about the responsibility that comes with being God's agent for your children? Have you abdicated your role in any way? And what about the accountability? Are you fully accountable to God, your spouse, your kids, the church, society as a whole? And if God is speaking to you today, maybe He's made aware in your life some changes you need to make or some things you just don't want to forget when one day you have children. Or when that opportunity arises to talk with your kids about the way they're raising their kids. What is it that you don't want to forget? What are the changes that you need to make? 
I mentioned at the very beginning that some of you would say, you know what, I've just failed. It's over. Kids are grown, I, you know, or they're, they're past the point where they're going to listen to me. I say this, as long as you have breath in your lungs, there is hope. There is forgiveness, there is restoration, there is grace and mercy from Jesus Christ. Always. Don't believe the lies that it's too late. Don't believe the lies that you should just throw your hands up and say, well, I guess I missed it. I'll say this, though, because there is hope doesn't mean, though, that there are shortcuts. <laughs> there are no shortcuts, particularly as your children get older. The only path to regaining the authority, to regaining and taking hold of the responsibility and to once again be accountable is the same path through which salvation comes, and that is repentance and faith in Jesus walking along the path that He's called you to as a parent. Your only hope is a continued life as a parent of repentance. <laughs> I messed up. I did. I realized I was not doing the right thing, and I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry to you. Husband, wife, I'm sorry to you. Children, I'm sorry to you. I repent, and we're going to place our faith in Jesus, and we're going this way, and I'll do the best I can to let Jesus live through me so He fulfills all that stuff. That's the only hope. There are no shortcuts. But if you don't do that, I'll guarantee you'll never get to where God wants you to be if you never live a life of repentance and faith. As I said, that's the same thing, same way that we receive salvation. We talk about the need to raise our children, instruct them in training and righteousness and so on. Today we need to be instructed as well. The Bible says that the sin of unbelief will keep us from spending eternity with Jesus it is the sin of unbelief in Him as the Savior, the reception of Him for forgiveness alone. It is that, that, that unbelief, that will send those who do not believe to hell. There's not a God who is somehow unloving, but a God who is just. So there is hope, however, to overcome the sin in your life. There is hope for salvation, but it comes through repentance. Turning from an old life, turning to Jesus Christ, receiving Him in faith. That is the only hope. Jesus is the answer for your family. Not just trying harder, not just doing better. Jesus is the only answer for your family. Because our biggest issue is not a family issue, it is our need for Jesus in every aspect of life. Our families included. Those deepest issues that we face are really a result of our lack of repentance, our lack of faith in Jesus. So parents, I challenge you, encourage you, that you are God's agent for the training and instruction of your children, regardless of their age, regardless of your stage of life. Maybe that's something you won't forget. But God will remind you of it. comes with authority. It comes with responsibility. It comes with accountability. But it comes also with the power of Jesus Christ to do it. If you would, why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. And let's reflect this morning as we close. On what God has spoken to us. Don't let in this moment the enemy distract you from what God has taught this morning through His Word. I stand here as a human, not as an expert, but hopefully as a conduit for God's truth. So I pray that that's what you've received this morning. Maybe as a parent, this hits you right between the eyes. 
and just say, you know what, I want to do authority God's way. I want to take the reins and be God's authority for my children. Or maybe I realize, you know what, I've not really, not really taken responsibility in this area. And far from feeling guilty today, I hope that you feel challenged and empowered that Jesus can help you make this happen. If you come to Him in repentance and faith and become accountable to Him, accountable to your spouse, accountable to your kids, accountable to the church and to society, there is hope for you. There is hope for your children. There is hope for your family. And His name is Jesus Christ. So call out to Him today. Tell Him where you failed. He knows and He forgives. Tell Him where you need help. He knows and He empowers. Tell Him your deepest needs. He knows them and He meets them. As parents, let's be God's agents for the instruction and training of our children. As a church, let's partner with parents. Let's help them. Let's encourage them to raise their kids the way that God says it should be done accountable to one another in those areas. Lord Jesus, thank you for your truth. Thank you that you love children. Thank you that you have entrusted to us many children of a varying age. And you've given us the responsibility, the authority, and the accountability that goes with being your agents for the instruction and training of those children. God, I pray in this moment for those who feel like they've failed. Well, this is not a day to receive condemnation and judgment. Today is a day to receive a fresh start, a second chance. So God, help them today to know and to be encouraged by their repentance and faith as they place forward today. Lord, for those who aren't yet parents, maybe those who are young, not even married yet, God, I pray that this would be their guiding factor, that when one day they have children, they remember they remember they are God's agent. Lord, help us as a church to be about strengthening and encouraging families. And Lord, we most of all, we thank you for the ultimate agent of your grace, Jesus Christ. Peel back the layers, Lord, even in this moment. And help us. We pray in Jesus' name.